0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, we'll manage to be able changing world, the changing times and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, we don't. Today is July 3rd, 2013. This is episode 1162 of the Survival Podcast. It's also episode six. Episode 6, how can you, 1162 and 6 at the same time, obviously we're doing a series, this is episode 6 of the Women of Prepping series, today I have Nicole, who is a uh, Weston A. Price chapter leader and a wannabe homesteader, and she'll be on in just a bit with a great interview about prepping from a female perspective, especially in a situation like many of you folks out there that listen to are in, they're in a military family where they have to move every so often. And uh, the the big homestead plans are down the road a bit yet. So uh, this will be a great interview, and this has been a great series. And uh, we'll keep bringing them to you until we uh, till we run out of the ladies that have stepped up for this series. Quick note, next week there's likely going to be three episodes of the Survival Podcast, and that is all. There will be one more of the Women of Prepping series uh, next week. Also, we'll have Marjorie Wildcraft next week, which is sort of kind of a woman of prepping, because she's a woman, she's a prepper, but... Uh, she's also a regular guest. We're going to be talking about butchering and using every single component of an animal so that nothing goes to the waste. And uh, Kurt Linville from uh, 180 TAC will be back on to discuss more of how um, you know having wilderness survival skills blended into a community can not create a prepper community, but a prepared community. So those are the three shows I'll have on tap for you next week. I will be in Montana all week. Um, There will not be a show Thursday or Friday next week. I'm telling you that in advance. So maybe go ahead and uh, check out uh, the site and see if maybe there's some shows you want to put aside for your listening on uh, Thursday and Friday next week. I also want to suggest something to you guys. Um, I've talked about it a few times, but I know a lot of people probably still don't realize it. Let's say you're bored. Let's say you want to listen to an episode of the Survival Podcast. Let's say there's 1,162 of them like there are today or it's in the future and there's 1,200 or 1,300 or 2,000. And you're not really sure what you want to listen to. Go to thesurvivalpodcast.com. Go to the center column. Scroll down where it says connect with TSP in the center column and go all the way past that little list of links where you can connect with me. All different kinds of cool things. And then it'll be the next block. It'll be the Gear Shop Facebook forum. Before you get to that, there's a little link, though uh just about you know dead center of the uh of the center column you'll see it right above the TSP gear shop banner it says listen to a random episode if you click that link i've installed a wordpress extension that just randomly pulls up a post now it might pull up on occasion one of the posts that are like an article or an update uh, i set it to not do that but it still does it but, uh, you know, if you click that link a couple times, you'll probably find an episode at random that you want to listen to. Great way to look through the past uh, archives and just one improvement I made to the site recently to help make it serve you guys better. Before I bring on Nicole, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, jmbullion.com. Hey, guys, if you want great prices on Silver Eagles and Generic Rounds, J.M. Bullion has some of the best pricing available on the Internet. And they're small enough of a company that I can talk to the owner. That's what I was looking for in a sponsor when I let silverandgoldshop.com go because, uh, well, just flat out they got into some network marketing crap uh, that I wouldn't have anything to do with. It was overpricing metal just so you could get your friends and family to buy it and get free silver. Um, I fired them. And I went out to find – I said I have to have somebody in the silver and gold supply industry, even knowing what we were going to do with TSP Mint because there's things that will never sell at TSP Mint um, like Silver Eagle's. Um, I needed somebody. I needed somebody I could trust and recommend for you guys. I went out and found JM Bullion, and I am very pleased with that decision. They're a great place to trust with your dollars, jmbullion.com. Great selection, great service, great people, and uh, a track record now of success. And if you're a member of the Support Brigade, uh, on orders of $300 or more, they even give you a discount. So make sure you log into your member Support Brigade account and uh, click on Benefits and get your discount for JM Bullion. If you buy from them. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultant, what I call the triangle of, of, of a gun operator effectiveness. Weapon, ammo, operator, right? You have to be a well trained individual, you have to have ammo, and you got have have a gun. Any one of those three components are missing, well, you got problems. People are really good on focusing on the ammo and the gun side of the equation. But admitting that we're all limited in our capabilities and abilities, especially for men that are kind of the tactical persuasion, is hard to do sometimes. But we are. Um, you will not, in a crisis situation, default to your best ability. You'll default to your lowest level of training. That's a reality. Whatever the, the most basic level of training that you've repeatedly put into yourself is where you're going to default to. And then maybe if you're lucky and if, if there's enough time, you'll be able to think and use some of the other things you know as you act. But the initial response, default to your lowest level of training. That means you need a very high lowest level of training. That means you need professional training. That means the next time you're thinking about what next gun to buy, maybe you should get a a defensive firearms course instead with that investment. You could do no better than Fortress Defense Consultants. Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors uh, are perpetual students themselves taking uh, training every year, multiple classes every year. Every instructor takes multiple classes from other trainers to always be evolving their skill set and their teaching ability. It's a very female-friendly place for those of you ladies out there that have been thinking you want to get some defensive handgun training or defensive rifle or shotgun training. Uh, Great instructors. Every single person that's been has raved about how awesome Fortress Defense is. Check them out today at FortressDefense.com. Next up, do want to remind you about... The member support brigade. I mentioned, I mentioned it briefly, but if you join my member support brigade, this is what happens. You support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. Woo! Do it, right? That's just the, what you should no. That's, that's just one part of it. Um, you'll get a whole crap ton of ebooks. I'm talking $200 worth of free ebooks the day you sign up. Download them to yours. PDF. What if I don't have an e reader? You don't need an e reader. If you have a computer and you, have, you know, can read PDFs, you can get them all. Download them to yours. There's some videos there that aren't available anywhere else. Uh, videos by me. They're older videos, but it's the only place you can get them. You'll get discounts. This is a big thing to about 40 different vendors that provide discounts, so things you're probably buying anyway. Uh, and you'll get some other content, like how about every episode of a Survival Podcast ever produced in zip files in blocks of 24 episodes apiece. So all 1,200-ish, it's not 1,200 right now, 1,160 episodes. The most recent 50 are on iTunes. You can go through the site and download them one by one. But if you just like to get everything in one shot, join the member support brigade. You'll get that And that list is constantly updated. There's even a link there. If I haven't updated it, it tells you how to get the zip files as they're created anyway. So it's a good deal. It pays for itself over and over again. There's individual benefits worth the entire first year of membership. And military, law enforcement, and Peace Corps, active duty or prior service, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, etc. I give you a service discount to thank you for your service. And that means if you're doing it now or if you did it in the past, not just active duty. Send me an email to jack@thesurvivalpodcast.com. put service discount in the subject line, tell me a little bit about your service, two or three sentences maximum is all I need, and I'll send you a discount code if you do that before, not after you join. If you join and ask for the discount, I'm going to probably tell you you have to wait till next year because I think I've been doing the discount long enough that there should be nobody that has an active account at this point that hasn't had the opportunity to get the discount before they've joined or renewed. Anyway, with that wrapped up, I'm ready to get into the main topic of today's show, we're going to bring on Nicole H. That's how we're going to respond and identify her. We're not going to give out her last name. Again, she's a Weston A. Price chapter leader and a wannabe homesteader. She makes all types of fermented stuff like kombucha, kefir, yogurt, cream cheese, sour cream, uh, all kinds of other really cool stuff. They uh, do a lot of their uh, their shopping by buying from an Amish farmer who delivers uh, in a co-op direct to their door, so that reduces their amount of time they have to uh, spend, uh, spend shopping. And, uh, you know, they uh, are in a situation where they have to move every so often, so they have to make do with what they have, but she feels that uh, keeping a year's worth of food except for fresh stuff is very easy for her to do because of the way that she manages her family's uh, dietary requirements and how she cooks and plans meals. And she's here to talk to us about prepping from a female perspective, uh, batter six in the Women of Prepping series. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy you're here. You're batter number six in the rotation for the Women of Prepping series, and uh, I, I'm interested in talking to you because I see you uh, are involved with uh, Weston A. Price uh, chapter, so that's that's really cool. We'll get to that, but this whole interview uh, series of Women of Prepping has started off because the audience told me that I do not have enough female representation among the guests and the women's point of view, to which I responded. I'll have anybody on the show that has something interesting to say. So, ladies, step up. You did, and with that in mind, could you just kind of begin with what led you to being a, a prepper female in the first place? Is it something you've done all your life? Is it a family tradition, or is it something that woke you up? What got you here?
1: Okay. Well, um, I think most people that know me would not call me a prepper, um, and i might be considered a homesteader, but um I I don't I mean, I guess you use the terms interchangeably, but um I definitely did not grow up doing either of those things. Um I grew up on boxes of macaroni and cheese and canned vegetables were the only vegetables I knew about and uh, <laughs> just I don't know, standard American diet, uh just-in-time, inventory, everything. I mean, we did not stockpile anything. and um, So then maybe I've been married about six years, maybe two years into our marriage, we started um, hearing about raw milk. And that, I think, well, actually, I think disposable diapers, cloth diapers was my gateway into, like, natural things and then going against the... Societal norm and and that kind of thing um, you know switching to uh, reusable uh, towels instead of paper towels and cloth napkins instead of disposable napkins and things like that and but i mean we we did not live like that growing up at all, and um, neither did my husband and i my son we see a special therapist that's about an hour away, and I felt like I was just losing all this valuable time being in the car for two hours a day so I was looking for a podcast and I was kind of interested in gardening and things and so then I found your podcast and that's really what got me into quote-unquote prepping so
0: huh.
1: you know now I've got a basement full of food and
0: <laughs> so I'm the see I didn't know that that's I, I try not to research too much before I have a guest on because I like discovering things in the interviews myself so I'm the culprit I'm I'm the one that screwed everything yes. up in your household. Yes. Excellent. Yes. My evil plan is working.
1: <laughs> Except that it's really been the opposite. I mean, it really, um, I think I put this on my notes, but it's really um, been great for my husband and I because it really has put us on the same page as far as money. Um, so it hasn't really caused any problems. It's just been good. Um, but, yeah, yes, I think your show is to blame.
0: Excellent. I like being the, to blame for things like that anyway. So um, now you're into all kinds of things, and, and, and you kind of came into this with, I guess, maybe some uh, some help from uh, my insanity, but from a standpoint of practicality and from a standpoint uh, in some ways of health as well. I mean, I'm reading in your notes. Now you're making things like kombucha and kefir and yogurt and cream cheese and sour cream, all types of stuff like that. And you mentioned that you're a, a homesteader, maybe more than a prepper. And I think those terms are used interchangeably today because if you're homesteading, generally you end up doing what people consider prepping, maybe not survivalism, but prepping. So so what was the impetus from the health standpoint?
1: Well, I guess, you know, we, um when we were, I first found out that we were pregnant with my oldest, where I started learning about, you know, baby things. And then I learned about how um, disposable diapers were bad for the environment and the chemicals are bad for the baby. And so I learned about cloth diapers. And then when you get cloth diapers, you learn about how you have to use a special laundry detergent because most laundry detergent has, like, uh, chemical brighteners or other things that, stay embedded in the fabric and they don't allow it to get clean. So then you're like, wait a minute, my my laundry detergent isn't getting my laundry clean enough. It's adding stuff. And then you find out you can't use fabric softener because again, that gets stuck in the fabric. you know, like, I'm, I'm not supposed to use fabric softener. And all, so then you start questioning all these things, at least I did. And then, um, you know, then you find out all these other things that you just assumed you were supposed to eat or buy or use, or, you know, like, um, that you don't need certain things, you know, like you don't need a different soap for dishes and hands and, uh you know, all the different things. And um, So, yeah, it just it, it, one thing led to another, you know, the the crunchy path or the granola or whatever.
0: So you kind of like you, you, you look at the towel and it's got that one thread that seems to need to be pulled out and it just looks like it's loose but it's actually attached and it starts to all unravel from there.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say
0: that with sadness uh, you should be happy i mean it sounds like you've you've kind of discovered a lot of the things that we take for granted every day just may not be as we are told
1: yeah well the reason i i have the trepidation in my voice is it just makes things awkward you know then you find out about um i mean like laundry is not awkward but um the whole libertarian thing then you get angry and then you're like you
0: know
1: it's just a lot of anger that makes things more complicated so
0: yeah but you you have brought a lot of this from uh come to a lot of this from a health standpoint so um before we even talk about what a person can do to get started on, on a hold on a second Let's leave a pause there, so I can edit that out. So you did come at this with a lot from a, a healthy standpoint, and uh, before we even get started on, on the path that, that that leads to, and what people can do to eat a better diet as part of their and and you know make that part of their prepping or their homesteading. Do you mention that you are uh, part of a Weston A. Price chapter as a leader there? Uh, for a lot of folks, you know, that's a name they've heard many times and are very familiar with. For those that are not familiar, could you tell just people a little bit about who Weston A. Price uh, was and, and what, what the uh, the group does today?
1: Sure. Um, okay, so Weston Price was a dentist, but um, he also was, and I don't remember the name, but he was in charge of like the research and development arm of the Dental Association or something. And I think maybe in the 60s. Um, but anyway, he he felt like all of his patients were having this rampant tooth decay, and he just kind of wanted to learn about why. And so he studied these cultures that were, I guess, native, eating their native diet and not influenced by the white man's diet, the developed, you know, I, I guess mostly that would be, like, refined sugar and refined flour and stuff like that. And a lot of times um, he found that, like, even from the same family, like, some parts of the family were eating the old traditional diet and some people were eating the new diet, and so he looked at the changes. And he had this book um, called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration um, that, like, if you don't even want to read the book, just look at the pictures and you'll be sold, just the the – shape of the jaws and the, um, you know, the beautiful teeth. I mean, it was just crazy to me to think of people living out in the jungle with no doctor and no dentist having beautiful teeth, beautiful health, you know, they don't brush their teeth, they don't have all these things that we have, and they're fine. So there must be something that we're doing that's having a problem with that. So anyway, the Weston A. Price Foundation now kind of carries on his work, educating people about basically the underlying thing is that, if you have problems with your teeth, and that could even be things like sleep apnea, like jaw, nose problems, it's it's related to your diet. And so they educate people on what actually healthy food is, not necessarily what the USDA would lead us to believe. And um, I would say that educating people on healthy food is one part of what they do, and then another part which flows from that is um Linking people with farmers because the the takeaway is that basically you're going to start having to get your food directly from the farmer and not from a grocery store and so it's really hard for people to kind of comprehend how to switch their whole you know paradigm of where they get their food, and so they do a lot of farm stuff
0: so i mean i've I've always been a fan of price, so help me out with something here because I've always seen what they do being very analogous and similar in many ways to what many of us that eat paleo do, but then I hear a word like granola. Is there maybe something different about, let's say, a Weston Price-approved granola versus uh, a granola the typical person eats? Well,
1: yeah. I mean, I would put granola, and you guys can make it with anything you want, but um, I make mine with oats, and so I – Put that in the whole category of grain, and I would say that, for one thing, Weston Price is not one particular diet like this percentage of this type of food and this percentage of this. It's it's more like um, principles. And Weston Price, I think his book had like seven or nine different people groups that had vastly different diets. So, for example, like the Eskimos, they had no fresh uh, vegetables and fruits, Um, and some people had lots of dairy, some had none, some had grain, some didn't. So it's not that eating Western Price means you have grain or that you don't or anything like that. It's okay. it's more understanding how you digest grain. So I would say that Western Day Price granola simply means if you're having any kind of grain, it's going to be soaked and or sprouted. And um,
0: ah,
1: there you that saw. is the main difference. And so that and, and what goes along with that is, probably freshly ground as well. So Do you
0: sprout oats?
1: No, I don't. I okay. soak them, but I I don't have a dehydrator, so I right. haven't done any sprouting except for like mung beans. Okay. Um I don't I haven't sprouted any grain. But um I think that with less than a price it's basically and I do kind of a gap combo with Western Price, and by that, I don't eat the GAPS diet. Have you heard of that? Gut and psychology syndrome? Yeah. Okay, so that's more like healing the gut. So um, what I take from that is just learning how the gut works and the importance of bacteria and stuff like that. So um, that has a lot to do with, I mean, if you're digesting grains fine, then you can eat them. But if you soak them and sprout them and you're still not not digesting them very well, then probably... Your version of Western Price is going to look a lot like paleo that you're not going to have any, uh, wheat or grains at all. And, and I think that you can be really healthy and not eat that, but um, as I did mention, I do think there are some problems with the way that oh, people talk about paleo or have paleo. I'm not saying you can't be healthy on paleo, but the the things that they focus on you ignore some other really important things at Western Price emphasize.
0: Cool. Well no, I'm learning here because like you know, there's certain things that you miss in your diet and so you're soaking oats versus sprouting them. I'm I'm looking at a recipe online right now where they're doing the exact same thing and they're using a little bit of flour, but the flour is a sprouted flour. So it's an interesting yeah. thing because I've always been of the opinion that if you mm-hmm. want to eat grain, sprouting it is a is a way to uh to certainly mitigate some of the damage that's done to the gut lining. So it's interesting.
1: Um, well, and I think it should not be a huge part of your diet. Yeah. I, mean, um, I think that's
0: a big thing, too. I, I don't have a big issue with people eating some grain. I have people an issue with people making grain like 70% of their freaking diet.
1: Well, I don't think anyone can, um, can dispute the fact that it's pretty easy to have uh, grain, you know, um, with every meal and every day, and, and we definitely don't do that. But, I mean, my husband... Um, packs his own breakfast in the morning and it's granola because I'm not frying an egg every morning. So we have eggs and things on the weekends, but granola is really a compromise in our family. It's soaked, but it's, you know, it's not as good I think for breakfast as eggs or something like that, but it's, it's really quick and it doesn't get any dishes dirty. And, you know, it's just, it's easy, but I do feel better about it because it's not overly sweet and it's, um, soaked,
0: very cool, so when a person like decides they want to get started um, and they're gonna try to eat a better diet along with it what is what are you would be your recommendations then?
1: Well, I have linked on my blog um, some series of articles that other people have done that I uh, pretty much agree with um, but i can I can summarize uh, I think you want to clean up your food, so uh, well really it, it it's two things that it goes hand in hand. you want to start making more things at home because if you try and eat fewer um, chemicals and preservatives, you're not going to find those at the grocery store or in convenience foods, so you kind of have to start making your things at home but um, so that's, I think, the biggest lifestyle change. That's the biggest barrier, I think, for most people. And then that goes along with, I think people are so busy running from here to there, they don't have time to make dinner or, you know, soak grain because you have to start two days before you want to eat it. So, um, it, that whole planning, that, to me, that's part of being, you know, a homemaker, a homesteader is, I'm, spending more time thinking about food and planning than most people do and and I think that's the biggest roadblock for most people who are eating a standard diet you know if you're going you're picking up your kids from school and then you're going directly to soccer practice and then you're coming home at nine you know eating something fast food on the way home i mean it's really hard to eat healthy with that kind of a schedule and there's not really anything simple that you can do to change that I mean there are foods you can pack in a cooler and I remember you had you were talking with Keith Snow about how they always bring the cooler in the car and um with their raw milk and everything out. I don't pack a cooler in the car, but I do fill up a clean canteen that's like insulated and I bring raw milk with me everywhere I go because you know if I'm hungry, I don't wanna hit up a convenience store or a you know a candy machine or something,
0: yeah, I mean whenever I do break. From my my daily intake, I'm usually on the road, and I'm usually on the road in a way where I do not have my own vehicle. It means I've gotten on an airplane, and okay. and that's that's when I'll I'll do something. You know, and sometimes it's just like, look, you know, uh, I lived that way for 25 years, and it got me in a in a bad way. But it was because I lived that way every day. Eating the occasional restaurant meal is just not that big a deal to me anymore but when i was initially kind of detoxifying from all this garbage it was and i i went to maybe even at some times what people would consider extremes because i think it's like an addiction at first and it's it's no one eats processed food because it's really good tasting that's not why we eat it we eat it because it's convenient and then you become uh, addicted to the effects of it and then you also become convinced that it tastes good what I found is if people separate from it for a good four to six months completely, and then you know I'll say after that if you feel like you really need to have something, go ahead and eat it. And what they find is it doesn't taste the way it was in their head anymore. It's it's yeah. it's not quite so good anymore. And and that actually is like the addict that tries the 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 drug but is on some kind of a counterbalance where it doesn't give them a high and it just makes them sick, and and then they don't want it anymore.
1: I think most people, if they have good digestion based on being on a good diet, you know, once their gut is healed and then they, you know, get a craving for, you know, whatever it is that they really want, I'd say go for it because if you're feeling like you're missing out and you're depriving yourself, then you're going to crave it even more and then you might binge. But usually if you do eat it, then your stomach is going to like freak out, you know, <laughs> stomach <laughs> cramps because your stomach is going to say, what's going on here? Really, I mean, you, if you think about the, the gut and um, if you repopulate it with good bacteria, you're not even really going to be having those cravings for, you know, the sweets or the simple carbs. But, you um, that come from bad
0: bacteria in your gut. So this, all of this nutritional stuff kind of led you into a world, we'll call it homesteading, we'll call it prepping, yeah. whatever. Um, and you actually are in a situation, right, I guess your husband's in the military or something like mm-hmm. that, picture I saw online, and you guys have to move every two or three years. I get a lot of questions about that. How do you prepare and homestead and, and deal with all of this meal prep when you're you, know, you're, you know, just as, God, the last time I moved in two years, I still had stuff in boxes. So how do you, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, um, not very well. It's, it's hard. But, um, for example, I was supposed to be moving. Um, we were supposed to be moving to Connecticut in a few weeks. And then we just found out a few weeks ago that we're staying here. And then we had signed a three-year lease, and our landlord had already put this house on the market, and so we were going to have to do our own move just to stay in the area for one more year here. And so, I mean, that just, we're, we're in a tailspin because all the, um you know, details have to be worked out with moving and then undoing all that and then moving, but locally, you know, it, it's not easy to have, you know, a lot of water in the basement, so I don't. Um I just... I just do the prepping type things that, you know, I'm going to use anyway, and then hopefully soon we can be in a place where we're going to stay, and then we can, you know, think about, um, I'd love to have, you know, live on a property where there's some sort of perimeter fence, where we can have, like, if someone sneaks in, there's some sort of alarm, you know, so that there's more security there, but we live in the suburbs with people walking in front of our house all times of day or night and there you know our front door is made of glass so even if we lock it with the deadbolt they could easily get in and you know it's it, I just do the best I can but mostly where where we're at right now um is very entry level prepping so I just buy food that I know I'm going to eat anyway but that, keep, that has a really good shelf life and um I think there's two different kinds of food that has a good shelf, like, you know, food that's good for you and food that's not good for you. So um, I'm not stocking up on boxes of food. I'm stocking up on, like, dried beans and lentils and um, that kind of thing. So oh, yeah. actual yeah. food, not chemical stuff
0: so you you'd probably say that what you guys do is you prep with maybe like a thirty to sixty day time horizon and shorten it up a bit and do what works and what can work in in your situation.
1: Well, I mean, I really have no idea how much food we have i have I know that beans last for i think like seven years and i mean i have i just um, I just went down the checklist so I got like fifty pounds of any kind of bean that I know how to use so. Like five or six kinds of beans and lentils, and um, so that will last for a really long time if I have a way of cooking it. And I'm um, I, I probably have at least a year's worth of food. Um, but then, you know, fresh stuff like milk that will only last a week. And I really can't have a cow in my yard, so there's no way of you know really planning ahead for that that I know of. But you may have a freezer full of meat. And... That's the other thing is I don't. Uh, grow a lot of our food, um but I um am part of a co op where I get almost all of our food from an Amish farmer, so um, that's where we get our raw milk and chickens and eggs and uh, all different kinds of beef and I mean I make my own of a lot of stuff that they also sell, like kombucha and kefir and beet kavas and stuff like that
0: so. That's really cool, and I think that helps more than just people that move a lot. I think that is very helpful to people that have really small places or people that have apartments or, or things like that.
1: Yeah. um, You don't have to really go to a lot of trouble. I mean, this isn't even like buying half of a cow. I mean, you can just order whatever you want for each week. So,
0: That's very cool. So um, how has finance played into all of this? Um, to me if you're if you're financially weak, then you're susceptible to many disasters that you know would never be in a survivalist movie or something like that, but uh, destroy lives. so you in your notes, you say that prepping uh got you and your husband on the same page about money. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so um if you go with sort of traditional stereotypes, um, I'm a spender, and my husband is a saver. So, you know, we've kind of been at odds about um, him wanting to have money in the bank account and me wanting to buy things. But it's really not as simple as that. I mean, I think that my husband likes to spend on big things. Like, he would love to buy a generator. Um, And, you know, we we got a new uh, driveway for our house that we have in Connecticut and you know, it's like stamped concrete and anyway, it, you know, he wants to buy things that are investments, whereas he feels like curtains are not an investment or shoes or whatever. So, uh, you know, we had different priorities, not just that he wanted to save and I wanted to spend, but he wanted to spend on different things. But since I've really gotten into prepping and homesteading, I've been a little less concerned with things like curtains and, um, I mean, I do think that beauty around the home is important, um, but, um, you know, then it we've, we've had more shared goals on what to spend on um, since we've been in the homesteader category. You know, our food, uh, our diet has changed a little at a time. You know, when we started with raw milk, we were still buying all of our meat at the grocery store, and then when we moved here we joined this co-op and then that was the first time that we really started eating grass-fed beef and you know that costs a lot more so then you have to make um some you have to give some things up in the budget in order to allocate more money for food but i really do feel like it's worth it um if you see you know food as medicine and an investment in your health and and also just a political statement to really vote with your dollar and you know every dollar that you spend on a a Tyson chicken is saying, A, that you support the whole grocery store paradigm, B, that you support what Tyson is doing, and that you think that it's good, What you know, how the environment is impacted by raising chickens that way. Um, it, it, but to say nothing of, you know, the poison that you're ingesting, the, the chemicals that they treat the chicken with to, you know, keep it from killing you because the chickens are so sick they can't even walk, And um, but just the political thing you know that's we are voting with our dollar in that way so that's something that has gotten us like i said financially on the same page
0: have you guys noticed since you did all that a change to your own personal health
1: well i mean it's not like we were super overweight and then lost a lot of weight or one of us had a a chronic illness um and then you know now we're fine i mean we're generally pretty healthy and you know pretty young we're both in our 30s um but um my husband uh has always taken um like proton pump inhibitors like uh i think it's like Zyrtec, you know acid reflux cells. and i mean if you talk to people who eat normal food you know not farm fresh food everybody takes them everyone has acid reflux and um he he doesn't take them anymore, and as long as he eats what I cook, he doesn't have any acid reflux. So, but um, sometimes when he eats other food, he says he does get some heartburn. But, um, yeah, so that's changed. That's um,
0: bigger than it sounds because you're yeah you're young you're you know you're going through 20s and 30s, and it's just a little bit of some acid reflux, and then you know 30 years later of dumping those those chemicals in your body to counteract the other chemicals. And you've got complex problems. So I think a lot of times when people hear something like that, it doesn't sound like a huge deal, but they're, they're missing the long-term life consequences. Because generally speaking, with the type of inhibitor you're talking about, if you if you go to your doctor and you're on those and you say, when do I get off of this? The general answer is, answer is you don't. Right. A- and that says an awful lot about that solution, if you want to call it a solution.
1: Well, I mean, that is a real um – you know, rabbit hole medical issue because those pills reduce the amount of acid that your stomach is producing because the acid is, you know, irritating, I guess, the esophagus or whatever. But that's not really the problem. I mean, Mm -mm. yes, it's taking away the symptom, but there's a bigger problem there that you're having digestion issues that the PPI does nothing to help. So, yeah, all
0: that's doing huh. is reducing the acid content so that when it does continue to come out of your stomach into your esophagus, it doesn't burn as bad, which is means that problem's still there. It also means now you're doing a, a more poor job of the digestion of the food you're eating.
1: But, I mean, some, like, you know, naturopath, holistic-minded doctors, they have great success treating people with that type of problem with... Prescribing them, or not that it requires a prescription, but having them take um, stomach acid, hydrochloric acid. So it's <laughs> not that you're having, <laughs> you're. It's not that you're making too much stomach acid, and that's the problem. Um, you know, so it's. My husband told me not to be a doctor on here. So.
0: <laughs> no, don't listen to them. You probably anyway. don't day to day anyway. So just tell us what you think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But uh, yeah, so I uh so I, I guess I, I'm minimizing. I mean there are other things. Like I used to take um prophylactically a, a, a Claritin a and a Sudafed every single day. Um then I totally don't just because I I don't have any allergy issues anymore. But um yeah, so and, and I think there's other things that we would notice down the road. I mean my kids don't take antibiotics unless they're really um well neither kid has had them, but they won't get them unless are really on death store and really need them so i'm sure that that is saving us from like that death spiral of you know ear infection antibiotic ear infection antibiotics you know and then you're needing stronger antibiotics and then why are we having infections again and, you know so i think that that's it's maybe more of a, a prevention of bad news than seeing yeah. something bad you know get healthy so
0: yeah that makes perfect sense um what 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 is your take on the probiotics? I mean, I'm looking at your notes, and you do a lot of stuff with the kombucha, kefir, yogurt, uh, sour cream. Those are all things with a lot of probiotic activity. So, what's your take on that?
1: Well, that was one thing I wanted to mention just with paleo is that you know I don't feel I, I'm certainly not a paleo expert, but I don't feel like most people on the paleo are talking much about probiotics.
0: Yeah, that's, that's not the case though. That really is okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I'm yeah. so happy to be wrong about that because I really <laughs> feel like that is something that um, people should look at. Um, we'll put it this way. The standard American diet thinks that uh bacteria is the same thing as germs and we need to kill them. So, um, you know, they know nothing about healthy digestion and the impact of taking antibiotics, you know, on your whole body and and even just the bacteria on your skin. I mean, I, I don't fully, I don't really think anybody fully understands the skin microbiome right now, but I use a probiotic deodorant. So I'm occupying the space on the skin with good bacteria. I'm populating it with good bacteria, and then that prevents the bad bacteria from coming in. And it's the bad bacteria kind of growing in the hot, moist environment that makes you smell bad. So you, when you populate an area with good bacteria, it keeps the bad bacteria from taking over. It's the same thing in the gut. So um, yeah, we really try and eat a lot of fermented foods, a lot of healthy bacteria. And then we also try not to eat things that would uh, make the environment less hospitable for that good bacteria. Um, so you know, like it's like um, you know, if one thing is healthy, then the other one is not as healthy. So it's, it's if you eat the sugar, that feeds the bad bacteria. Well, if the bad bacteria is getting stronger, it's occupying the space, then the good bacteria is not going to be healthy. So. Um, we really try to limit sweets. Um, at the same time, we're trying to eat a lot of fermented foods.
0: What are some yeah, of the... I... Go ahead.
1: Well, I just want to say, I I heard, uh, I can't remember what it was, but, oh, it was on the blog. I just read that Dorothy said something about fermented foods, and she said she knows they're good for her, but... So far, she doesn't like them, and so you know maybe she, if she would learn to make something else, maybe then that would taste good. Maybe she'd eat it more. And um, so I really like making it myself because you know you you ferment it until it's ready, you know until you decide it's ready, and then you put it in the fridge and it doesn't continue to ferment. So if you um, if you like something a little less tart, you don't let it ferment as long, or you like it more tart, you ferment it longer. So you are really in control of the flavor when you make stuff yourself like i just made a batch of mango chutney and it's my second batch this you know this year you have to do it when the mangoes are in season but well i mean i live in maryland there's no mangoes here they're imported but you know when you can get good organic mangoes and so um it's partially digested if you if that doesn't gross you out think about it fermented food it's easier to digest because it's partially digested but that just means that the nutrients in the food are more bioavailable you're you're able to i mean the food that you eat it only does you good if you can digest it or to the extent that you can digest it you know you get the benefit of those nutrients so um it makes the food that you're eating more digestible and it itself is very digestible
0: as i've looked at uh old societies, ancient societies, whatever you want to call them, primitive societies, traditional societies, however you want to label that, across the board from people that live in the jungle of South America to people that lived on a lot of dairy in Europe to people that lived in parts of Africa or Australia and anywhere that I've ever looked at an indigenous uh society uh that had a, a you know a pretty good level of self-sufficiency and was was providing their own food every single one of them seemed to have one or two uh staples in their diet that were uh, a fermented uh food you know mexico has escabeche and there you know like you know kefir and yogurt and and, and all of this stuff and uh, on the Dorothy thing I, I love my wife but my god the the overreaction to the taste of fermented food is it's almost like it's trying to get a kid to Take a tablespoon of Robitussin when they need it, and it's like just eat a spoonful of kraut or yogurt a day. And the way I've been able to get her now doing that is with um, basically uh, a grain-based and fruit-based kind of a smoothie uh, with with homemade yogurt in it, because that way she'll actually. You gotta consume it. it and that's like the oh, it's like you know a spoonful of sugar getting the medicine to go down um but i think it's because we have this mental response to anything that doesn't that has a uh i don't know that tart taste to me i
1: yeah
0: i, I, I can't find many fermented foods i don't like
1: well i think it's definitely an acquired taste i mean you you don't find that flavor in american cuisine at all um so, yeah, most Americans are not used to it, but um just with seeing it in all the traditional cultures, I mean, they also didn 't have refrigerators, so you can see that they um they were using it not just because it 's really healthy but that that 's a way of preserving their food, so you know in the case of milk kefir um regular milk does go bad, you know, in not very long if it's not kept cold, but if you make kefir, I and mean, you can keep it for a really long time, especially if you have something like a root cellar, um, you know, where it's maybe not as cold as a fridge, but it's cooler than room temperature, you can keep stuff that's fermented for a really long time.
0: What what are maybe some of your favorite like first things for people to start making on their own like the easy stuff to 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 give a shot in making your own fermented foods?
1: Well, I think yogurt is really easy and almost everybody likes yogurt. And can you, you tell people
0: them, like, how to do then... that because it is pretty simple?
1: Yeah. Um. So the method I use, I have a, a canning pot that has a little tray, and you'd put the quart-sized jars in it. And so I just um. You know, I fill the jars with milk, leaving a little bit of room at the top, and I boil the water, and you don't even really need a candy thermometer. Once the milk starts to have that um, kind of skim at the, I don't know, a kind of a layer at the top, um, or when it gets to be about 115 degrees, you don't really want to go over 117 degrees if you're uh, making it with raw milk. I think there's some debate on exactly what the temperature is, but... You don't want to, if you don't have to, uh, kill the good enzymes that are already in there. Um, and so then uh, once you've heated it up to the right temperature, then I pull the jars out in the little tray and I dump out the boiling water and fill it up with cold water. And then you want to cool that back down to between 100 and 110 degrees. And then you add just a spoonful of yogurt, you know, from last week as a yogurt starter and then you stir it around and put the lids on, and I put it in the oven uh, with the light on, which I use as my incubator, and I do that for 24 hours, and then I pull it out and put it in the fridge, and I'm done. And I don't have to, you know, some people make it in the crock pot, but then you've got to wash the crock pot. I mean, it, I like to make it in the container that you're going to serve it in or store it in, and then fewer dishes to wash.
0: So. Yeah you know, one of, one of my big uh reasons for starting to make my own yogurt wasn't so much a money thing or even a convenience thing it was the absolute maddening concept that uh, whenever I could find a real yogurt uh, made with you know real cultures and everything in a good store like you know like a organic store like a whole foods or something because this country has lost its flipping mind about fat it's all low fat oh, and yeah. It drives me absolutely out of my mind. If you if you eliminate fat, all you do in, in eating the same volume is increase. The only other thing that can be there, uh, which is generally sugar and, and carbohydrate, not as bad with milk as other things because you got a lactose thing there that's not as digestible. But still, uh, it drives me nuts because to me, milk is supposed to be milk. And what farmers called skim milk 50 years ago is what we call whole milk today. <laughs> uh, it, it really is. It's it, what, what we call skim milk today is basically the water that's left when everything good comes out of it. Uh, so the yes. no fat yogurt thing drove me crazy, and finally I'm like, dummy, you have I have an Excalibur, and that works perfect as an incubator. Like just mm-hmm. just drop a, you know a, a, a teaspoon of yogurt in some jars and, and get on with it and stop complaining. Yeah. yeah, I think
1: that the fat thing is really misunderstood. If you don't read the Western Price stuff as your source of nutrition information, then I think you're going to really get the wrong idea about fat, i.e. that eating fat will make you fat. And um, I feel like there's so much misinformation out there on the role of fat in your body. And, I mean, you need eat fat. I mean, you need healthy fat. And so cream is definitely... A, a healthy fat I mean that's where the vitamins are I mean that is a superfood actually so if you're eating cream made you skimmed off of milk uh, where the cows were eating grass like a fast growing grass like in the springtime that is the most excellent food I mean just eating that butter by the spoonful is so good for you and um
0: And self-limiting if you're not weighing it down with a bunch of carbohydrates. People are like, you can't eat all the butter you want. And I'm like, well, if you're eating butter and you're not wrapping it in a pound of bread, you will very quickly limit your consumption all by yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is another really uh, beneficial role of fat is that it helps you feel satiated. So, I mean, mm. if you are cutting fat out of your diet, you might be tempted to overeat just because you can't feel full. So, you know, that's why a lot of people who are having trouble with overeating, um, they'll have maybe like a tablespoon or two of coconut oil before their meal, like 20 minutes before the meal, and then they can feel satisfied.
0: That's kind of brilliant. Really simplistically brilliant. Um, I, I have an experiment that I'd like people to conduct because I've done it and I know their results already. Um, one day, um, stop eating at a certain time of day and limit your intake to nothing for a certain period of time, however you choose. And sit down and, and and cut up some cheese and some Ritz crackers and eat the cheese with Ritz crackers and count how many pieces of cheese you eat until you don't want any more. Um, have whatever you want to drink while you're doing this. A glass of wine would be great. Uh, then the next day, um, do the same thing but mix the crackers. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you'll eat less pieces of cheese if you remove the crackers. And I all I can say is that, that when we start eating this carbohydrate-fat ratio, it must trigger some sort of primal instinct like eat the fruit while it's in season so you can fatten up for, for, for winter or something like that because it happens over and over and over again. But when you have what your body perceives as an unlimited supply of protein and fat, it doesn't feel like it's in any need at that point then to, to overconsume. consume I, That's the only way I can explain it, but I promise you if you try it, um, you'll, you'll generally get the same result. And Even if you ate, let's say you ate seven pieces, depending on how big you made them, of cheese with crackers, and you felt satiated, and then the next day you ate the same seven, if you didn't eat six or five, which is what I usually find to be the result when, when people try this, you're still eating a lot less calories because you didn't eat the seven crackers. And you still feel full. And and it's very hard to explain to people. And that's why I've come up with that little experiment so that they can, you know, experience it for themselves.
1: Yeah. Although, you know, you did say calories. I do think that counting calories is a real problem. I mean um, – Oh,
0: I agree. I'm just okay. making an example here. No, I don't – I haven't counted a calorie since I started losing weight. In fact, that was my trick <laughs> to lose weight. I lost a I lost 100 uh, uh, pounds. And the only time that I counted calories was like an estimation in the very beginning to prove a point because I was consuming a a massive amount of calories, a massive amount in the beginning, and weight was still falling off. And over time, as the body restructured, then the the, the diet mo- the the dietary volume moderated itself. And since then, I haven't counted anything. I haven't even read you know what calories are in something. I eat what I want under certain guidelines and. um you know, unlike you guys who were in good shape when you started down this better nutritional path, I was in pretty bad shape. Uh at at last count, I'm down hundred and one pounds over about two and a half years. Uh which wow. is like a small human being. Whereas or, or I try to explain it to people when they when you think about losing fat, that's twenty five pound tubs of butter. <laughs> so it works.
1: <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, wow. um yeah, I think I think the problem with nutrition and the misinformation is that we are always trying to simplify things. And so I don't think it's ever as simple as calories in, calories out, or, um, you know, I think, and I guess that was another thing. I think a lot of people that are doing paleo, they're, um, they're not looking at the quality of the calories that they're eating or even the quality of the meat or the quality of the dairy. Like if you're saying the only option is, uh, pasteurized milk, then I think get rid of it. If the only option is Ritz crackers or, you know, regular uh, wheat, you know, grocery store bread, get rid of it. I, I think that that's not doing anybody any papers. But if you can get fresh from the farmer, you know, raw milk, um, most people can digest that really well. I mean, I feel like maybe this is, you know, where my ancestors ate a lot of milk. I don't know, but... I can digest milk great, and I feel like I could live on milk. If I had a cow and all my other food got blown up, I'd be fine. I could live on yogurt and milk and butter and kefir, no problem.
0: I think there is a genetic thing at play there. Um, I do think, for instance, somebody with a type O blood type is going to be someone more predisposed to high amounts of meat and, 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 and animal fats. Um, from from animal sources themselves, nuts, seeds, things like that, things that are beneficial to anybody, but not even just more predisposed to do well on that diet, but more predisposed to actually, um, once exposed to that diet, actually kind of crave it and stick mm-hmm. with it, where a person that has more of a, a, a modern European heritage or uh, more of a, a heritage AB blood type type thing, more dairy exposure, more Mediterranean, it's gonna gravitate more towards some of the other things. Um, I'm not completely sold on the eat right for Your type concept, but I do think there's something to it. Uh, being an O myself, I, I feel about, you know, pretty much if, if I had um, uh, about a thousand acres and it was full of game, I probably would eat nothing but meat for the rest of my life with some nuts and seeds and things going on. And, you know, I use butter for cooking and milk for my coffee. Um, and, and, and I think that both of those work. And I think it's, it's about being individualized. And I think the big thing that's in common there is getting all the processed crap yes. and yes. all the modern alter adulterated crap out of your diet.
1: Absolutely. And, and I
0: don't know where you're getting your paleo information, but I think you're, you're, you're not quite on that. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty much the case in paleo. I think Rob okay. Wolf started some things that, maybe even he has changed because in his first book, he was like, I don't see the point of buying organic food because you're paying more for the same thing. And I think, you know, people start in one place and end up in another. And I think in, even in his work, he's moved kind of away from that, you know, more of the grass-fed, free-range beef type thing and, and what have you.
1: Well, I think as long as your choices are all, um, you know, real food choices, eat whatever you want. I mean, um, it. Okay, some within reason. I mean, don't eat all sweets or, you know, even fresh fruit. That's not refined sugar, but you got to eat, you know, a balanced diet. But in general, if you're craving eating all meat, I think that's fine. And I think your body, wants, maybe it's craving something because it needs that thing. If you're coming from a, a pretty healthy base and you're craving dark, leafy greens, then your body's telling you, I need some, you know, Dark leafy greens, and then once it fixes that thing, then you might crave something else. But I think when you're coming from a unhealthy point, you know, and you're craving sweets or simple carbs, then that's can't necessarily give into those cravings. But if you're coming from a healthy healthy gut situation, I think just do whatever your body wants.
0: My my rule is this: I try to make at least ninety percent of my foods conform to this rule. Would I eat it in its raw natural state? Um, and I think people stumble when they hear that because they think of meat, like would you eat raw meat? And I'm like if I knew the source <laughs> and I knew it was completely uncontaminated and I was taking the health concern off the table, you bet. Um, and, and so we start looking at individual things like would I eat a raw white potato? No. Does that mean I'll never eat a white potato? No. But That means it's not going to make up a, 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 a daily part of my diet. Would I eat a raw sweet potato? Absolutely. Would I eat a raw Jerusalem artichoke? Um, I'm watching them grow out there and, and, waiting for the day that I can start pulling some out of the ground. Um, you know, would I eat a, a raw, uh, chufa or tiger nut? Yes. So there's, there's certain tubers that I would eat raw. So they're going to be the ones that I would turn to for that part of my diet. And I think if you do that, you're going to, you're just going to end up where you're, you're, you're at because, um, there's a lot of things that are in our modern food society you wouldn't eat raw. Very few people would, uh, sit down and eat raw wheat berries. Uh, doesn't mean there will be no wheat whatsoever in my diet. Um, I actually just bought some uh some beardless Russian wheat that goes back to like the 1600s from a, a local seed company, and you know my thought is maybe we'll grow some of that and you know use some of that in you know limited amounts. Um,
1: is that iron corn? What's that? Is that iron corn wheat?
0: It's uh it's a beardless Russian. Wheat—that's what it says on the label. I don't have it in front of me right now, but and it's from a company called Brim Seed Company, B R I M, and it's down in uh, Central Texas, down by Waco. Um, I just found them at the uh, Self Reliance Festival in Iowa, and find out they—they're like 45 minutes from me. Um, so, I mean, I—I I, I don't think there's like we have to bash the heck out of wheat, uh, but I prefer, you know, a, you know, traditional wheat to modern mutated, yeah. high gluten wheat. Um and right. I still think it's a moderation. I my rule is if you want to eat wheat and rice and all, you know, in your situation is different. You have to kind of figure out what it would be, but if you are a true homesteader and you have a few acres or more, you can eat all you can grow. Yeah. And and all of a sudden you'll be eating a moderate amount because you'll find out how much work goes into uh, you know, a couple of pounds of uh, of wheat berries. Yeah.
1: That's just to grow it, but then once, I mean, it's not a simple thing to prepare wheat at all
0: which yeah. makes you wonder before we had modern agriculture and sl- or slave labor as part of you know initial agriculture how much of that type of a grain did society really consume and the answer would be not a ton not not a ton and but when we moved into a, a, a agri based society uh especially in the uh, you know what they call uh, the fertile crescent area uh that became a stable because you could grow a lot of it on a little bit of land and you had unlimited labor and when somebody fell over from exhaustion, you just dug a hole and kicked them in it, and they became fertilizer and I mean that sounds harsh, but that's the society that that built modern agriculture <laughs> <laughs> i'm 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 getting off off track a little bit, but yeah i mean i would i'd like to ask you some you know questions generally from a female perspective um as we get ready to close up here because this has been fascinating. I've learned some things in it, uh, like soaking oats. I didn't know about that. Um, but as, as a woman, you kind of came to this from this this health angle, environmental angle, and you know the unwinding thread angle. But let's say it was a different scenario. Let's say that you were bopping along in life, and you weren't worried about anything, like a lot of people are out there, like a lot of women in our audience, uh, the women that are married to men in our audience are. And your husband had, like, had the threat unravel and figured out that there were certain things that were at risk and certain things that weren't really uh, doing the best things for ourselves and our families out there. Everything from debt to nutrition to economic outlook to just natural disasters that had come to you and said, we need to be more prepared. I, I think, like most people initially, you would have probably been like, yeah, okay. Um, what maybe would have cracked... The, the the cocoon? What would, would have been like the best shot he could have took in, taken at that point to get you to, to be open?
1: Okay. Well, I think it's always um, in negotiation you want to look at the other person's interests. So, you know, you don't want your wife to feel like you, you want to change her or make her do things differently. Um, but maybe just, you know, if she is concerned about – Getting dinner on the table. I mean, sometimes I feel like I, I can't do this prepping thing because I'm so overwhelmed with my day to day duties. So you can just say, okay, well, what could make your day to day duties easier? You know, if you have, if you don't have to run to the store to get more rice because you have rice in the basement, that is great. I mean, it saves money when you buy it in bulk you have more money to spend on whatever other bowls you have and saves you time and it's just easier. So you think about, you know, what that person's interests are, then you can find a common ground uh, more easily.
0: I I have met a guy that came to my house and said, you know, he kind of got on board with this whole prepping thing and kind of more like from your angle, except he's got a bit of land from a, you know, kind of a, a modern day homesteading standpoint. And his wife is like totally reluctant to all of this stuff. And he, after a couple of years, really got his garden going and, and and, and has a beautiful garden now with great production. He's in Wisconsin. It's good farm country. Um, So, you know, he gets great results from his small garden. She won't even eat anything that comes out of the garden. Um, Is that just female stubbornness? Because it's like, I mean, did maybe he approach it wrong, like, you're wrong, I'll show you? Do you think that's what causes that kind of a, like, just ridiculous level, to me, of resistance?
1: I don't know. I mean... I guess people have different um models for marriage. I mean, to me I think it's really important for the husband and the wife to always be on the same page. You don't want to have like he has his goals and she has her goals. I mean, I remember in um the I've been reading the two hundred and ninety nine days series and the author says, you know, like I looked at my wife and I loved her so much and I could picture us growing old together but there's so much of, you know, what's going on, even You know, now that the collapse has happened and they're out at the point, you know, she still doesn't know what his true feelings are or exactly what's going on. He's keeping this major thing from her. I just don't understand how you can feel one with your wife and not be on the same page. So I think that you just have to explain where you're coming from and say, I don't want this to be my thing. I want to make this our thing because we are one. I I mean, I, I just. I guess, you know, maybe if, if that's how their marriage works, fine, but I can't imagine that that would work. Um, I, I think it's really important to have both people, you know, buy in um, to whatever the family goal is. If that's being more, uh, you know, prepared for whatever kind of disaster might happen or, um, you know, making uh, you know, sitting down to a family dinner, more of a priority, and, you know, whatever that is, I, I think that you can't just have one spouse plowing ahead and leaving the other one behind, then it's going to be your thing. I mean, I, I really can't relate to saying I won't eat anything from the garden because it's your thing. I That might just be stubbornness, but
0: well, no, it's not no, because it's, his, it's thing. his thing. It's because it's a it's it's a preparedness thing. It's it's an acknowledgement that there's a a reason to even do such a thing. It it sounds totally unreasonable to me, and I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I also look at the two ninety nine days thing, and and you know, the author there's a, a personal friend, um, and I know that I really
1: like, love the book. By the way, I'm not. <laughs> No, 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 no. But the, I just can't relate to that one part. But the, by
0: the time they're into the collapse and dealing with that, that's obviously to the point where you've gone from some drawing from reality to uh, a fiction-based world. Because his thing was always, I never want to say I told you so. So when something would come up and a prep would pay off, it would always be like, where'd that come from? And he'd say something like, hey, Easter Bunny brought it. You know, not, see, I told you we'd need this. Um, and I'm talking in real, you know, the power goes out for a day or so. Um, and I think that's like something that, that, that men especially need to work on is that when, because I, I understand what you're saying about doing things together, but I also look at it this way, like, my wife was kind of like, hey, I don't know about all this in the beginning. And it was like, well, I'm not going to sit around as a leader of the house and do nothing. Because you're not ready to do anything yet. I'm not going to stick it in your face. uh, But I am going to make sure there's some food around here. I'm going to make sure there's some water around here. I'm going to make sure we have a source of backup power. And then when something would go wrong, I would just, you know, go turn the generator on if the power went out. And I wouldn't say a word other than, uh, do you want me to turn the TV on, too? And, yeah, okay. And then once you could watch Dr. Phil, all of a sudden I was genius. Um, and now I'm the one that we're out at, you know, shopping or something. And she goes, we haven't picked up anything for our preps today. I'm like,
1: yes,
0: (laughs) you know, this is awesome.
1: Again, every marriage is different. And, um, I think you've probably been married longer than I have. So I'm not saying that I'm the expert, but I don't think that it's good to just, um, go your own way. I mean, it could end up. Uh, not paying off and, and really driving a wedge between you. And now you have all
0: this food, but no family. You know, I, I mean completely agree. So I, I, my last question for you then is like probably something you never expected, Um but it makes me think of this. I know a lot of people that do this. And my, my opinion is it's a terrible idea. I, I have met more and more people in the last, let's say, 10, 15 years doing this as well. They're married. Uh They both have their own checkbook. They both have their own money. They both have their own savings accounts. And when they pay the bills, they each pay half. Um, I I do not understand that because I believe that if I wouldn't trust you with my money, I'm not gonna you know tr- basically trust you with my life and the life of my child. Um, what is your thought on the whole separate finances thing?
1: Never in a million years is that a model for a good healthy marriage. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't think that's a good idea.
0: So you, I, mean, I, I- Dave Ramsey, agree on something. That's cool. <laughs> yeah well hey i've had a great time nicole you want to tell you you got a really cool blog with all kinds of little uh projects on it and uh you've got some kind of beehive there that i've never heard of before uh some kind of argentinian beehive or something like that and all kinds of other great stuff going on um can you tell people a little bit about your blog as we wrap up here
1: well okay it's um so my uh my husband and I used to watch this show upstairs downstairs with my in-laws and they had this uh it's like
0: in England
1: um before world war one and they had um this like the um, the staff that lived downstairs anyway the butler had this thing called the pantry book and it was all the, the notes that let the new butler know how the house was run and all of the kind of the cheat sheet for him and so we we have parties and and when we have the same party the next year, we're like, where did we put that table? Or what did we do that, you know, worked out really well? Or what did we decide we needed more of next time? And so I we would make notes. And then uh, I decided to put it all into a blog. And then it turned into more of, you know, what we're doing and, uh, you know, the progress that my son is making and things like that. But um, it's kind of everything. But, yeah, it's my pantry book. It's just notes for, you know
0: the next butler so the website is thepantrybook.com so folks should get on by there I'll put a link in the show notes today and I'd like to thank you for joining us and bringing your perspective to this and uh, for teaching me more about uh, less than a price I've always just kind of pointed to that and went hey um, yeah he says meat's good so leave me alone Uh, but there's a lot more to it and uh, maybe I should get his book and uh, read more of his research and uh, maybe soak some oats uh, so, so thanks for being with us today, Nicole, and for teaching me something new.
1: Thanks a lot, Jack. All
0: right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Nicole, helping you figure out how to live that better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days. You know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. Like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess When we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way